Hello, and welcome to the Bible Initiative Podcast. My name is Tim Fritzen. I'm the lead pastor at Liberty Christian Fellowship, and today we're going to be taking a look at one specific judge right in the middle of the book of Judges in a podcast that we're calling Examining Samson. If you've got a Bible, I want you to open up to Judges chapter 13. What we're going to be looking at today is Judges 13 through 16, which is the account of a man named Samson. Samson is the judge that God raises up, the Lord uses to deliver the Israelites from the Philistine people who are uh, have been uh, oppressing them and afflicting them for a number of years. And so the general flow of Samson's life works this way. Chapter 13 is his birth and uh, the cir- circumstances surrounding his calling as a judge. Chapter 14 gives a picture of Samson blowing through a lot of barriers that God places in his life. Chapter 15, God is incredibly merciful to Samson. And then in chapter 16, we see his death. So we're going to start in Judges chapter 13. Samson's birth is announced by the angel of the Lord in Judges 13.3. Here's what it says. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman. The woman is Samson's mother. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. The angel of the Lord again uh, appears in Judges 13, 8 through 14, and he speaks to Samson's father, Manoah. You see, his parents are told that they're going to give birth to a son and that their son should take what's called a Nazarite vow. Here's what that vow means. It means that the person who takes the vow is supposed to abstain from wine. They're supposed to keep themselves from ever becoming ritually unclean, meaning that they couldn't touch a corpse or a grave, even the corpse or grave of someone of their own family. It also means that they're not supposed to ever cut their hair. Not everyone in Israel took this vow, but it was this further picture of God's desire for his people to be set apart. Someone who took a Nazarite vow, even among the Israelite people, was set apart and dedicated to the glory of God. They were set apart and supposed to be this kind of holy picture of the type of person and the character that God had wanted for his people. A person could take this vow for a short time or season in their life, or they could take it for an entire lifetime. And in Samson's case, it's a lifetime vow that his parents are supposed to make for him even before his birth. If you'll flip over to Judges chapter 14, what we're going to see now is that throughout Samson's life, he not only breaks that Nazarite vow, he also walks through a lot of barriers that God has lovingly placed in his life. Samson is this picture of, of a typology of Christ. He's this uh, a section of this story gives an incredible Old Testament foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do later when he comes, but he's also this incredible warning of the downfall that can happen in a person's life because of their sin. And simultaneously, uh, we also see a picture of the fact that God can work through a sinful and a broken purpose person in order to accomplish his plan and his purposes. And so here in Judges chapter 14, we see Samson sinning repeatedly, and yet God still has this plan to use him in a mighty way on behalf of his people to save God's people, Israel. And so the first of those happens in Judges chapter 14, verse 1. It says this, Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. In Deuteronomy, God gave a clear command that the Israelites were not to marry foreign women. The reason for that command is that 
uh, God knew that if the Israelites did that, they would end up worshiping foreign gods. And so there's a clear command. That's a barrier in Samson's life that's intended to lovingly help him live the life that God desires. And yet Samson walks straight through that. Another barrier that God gives to Samson are faithful parents. They were faithful in committing Samson to this life of uh, of a Nazarite vow, and they've they're faithful here in Judges fourteen uh, to try to lovingly guide their son. So it says this fourteen verse three. But his mother and father said to him, "Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all of our people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines?" But Samson said to his father, "Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes." Samson walks straight through the boundary that God has placed in his life that's loving, faithful parents. God even uses the circumstances of Samson's life later in order to try to correct him back. And in the middle of chapter 14 and at the beginning of chapter 15, there's a story of how Samson's wife ends up dying. And despite the pain of that experience, it doesn't move Samson back toward a life of faithfulness. Embedded right in the middle of all of this, is a quick reminder that God works to fulfill his plans and purposes despite the sin of humanity. In Judges 14.4, we're told this, His father and mother did not know that this was from the Lord, for he, that's God, was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines ruled over Israel. In Samson, we see a man who's learned to enjoy and to hide his sin rather than learning to walk away from it. And that is going to end up being his downfall. Despite all the warnings and barriers of the Lord, Samson is committed to pursuing the way of life that he wants to live rather than the life that God wants him to live. The fact that justice doesn't hit him, the fact that justice doesn't come upon men and women and their sin immediately isn't because God is blind to what's happening or turning his head away and pretending not to see it. It's because God is good and he longs to see his people come to repentance. Unfortunately, in the life of Samson, that doesn't ever happen. Yet it also doesn't stop God from pursuing his purposes on behalf of his people and fulfilling his plan through the life of Samson. Where I want to spend the bulk of our time in this podcast is in Judges 15, verses 9 to 20. So take a second and get yourself flipped over and situated there. This is an incredible Old Testament picture that looks a lot like Jesus's final moments on earth. Remember, a type of Christ, that's what we're going to see here, is an Old Testament foreshadowing of Jesus. And oftentimes, we only see those types in light of having seen the life of Jesus. And that's the case here. Because we know and have an understanding of what happened at the end of Jesus's life, we're able to look back at Samson and see these incredible similarities. So let me set this up for you. Samson's wife has just passed away. Samson has gotten revenge on the Philistines by burning down uh, a portion of uh, their city, and this is what we're told. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. That means that he killed some of the Philistines. And he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock at, at Atom. This is Judges 15.9. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. The Philistines come to Judah in Israel because Samson is there, and he's just destroyed their city, and they want to get back at him. They want revenge on him. And we're told that the men of Judah come out and ask why they're there. This is Judges 15, 10 through 13. It says this, And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? They, the Philistines, replied, We have come up to bind Samson, to do to him as he has done to us. 
Then three thousand men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock at Atom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. And the men from Judah said to Samson, We have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear that me that you will not attack me yourselves. So 3,000 men from Judah show up to talk to Samson, and rather than coming to their deliverer's side, they decide to stand against him. Remember, Samson's a judge. He's a deliverer for the Israelite people. They've been sinning, and they've been given over to the Philistines as a judgment from the Lord. They've cried out in prayer to him, and God has raised up a judge. He's raised up Samson, and yet here are these Israelite people standing against him. They're afraid because Samson's rocking the boat with the Philistine people, and they would rather peacefully coexist with evil rather than stand and fight against it. Here's the deliverer, the savior of Israel, and the men of Judah stand against him. In fact, they give the deliverer over to their enemies to die so that the rest of them might not. There's an incredible picture of Jesus and the Pharisees here. Here was Jesus Christ, the ultimate deliverer of the Israelite people of all of humanity, not just a judge, but the Savior and Messiah himself, and the Pharisees hand him over to the Romans in order to be killed. The Romans may have actually driven the nails into Jesus's hands, but it is the Pharisees who drove Jesus into the hands of the Romans. And so, just as Samson is handed over by his own people to be killed by Gentiles, by non-Israelites, so too is Jesus handed over by his own people to be killed by the Romans or Gentiles. So Samson allows them to bind him so long as they don't attack him. And the men of Judah are content with this. They will let the, the Philistine people do what they want with him, but they won't attack him. Let's continue on reading. I'm going to start in verse 14. When he came to Lehi... The Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck a thousand men. Samson comes, is brought by the men of Judah to a place called Lehi, where the Philistines are, and in that moment, The ropes that are binding him fall off of his hands, we're told, like flax that has been set on fire. And Samson grabs the bone, the jawbone of a donkey. He's at a place called Ramoth Lehi, which literally means the hill of the jawbone. It's a place of death. It's this junk pile. People would bring the carcasses of their unclean dead animals and they would just dump them there. And in that moment, Samson grabs one of those piles or one of those bones off the pile and he strikes down a thousand of the Philistine individuals. Ramoth Lehi, the hill of the jawbone. Look, Jesus was taken to a similar place, right? He's taken and crucified at a place called Golgotha, or in Latin, Calvary. It's the hill of the skull. And it's on the hill of Calvary, or the hill of Ramoth-Lehi, that both men, Jesus and Samson, break the bonds of their death in order to bring life. Samson kills a thousand men. A thousand is a number that signifies completeness. Is it a direct historical recounting of how many men perished, Philistine men perished there? Probably not. It's a number that signifies completeness. He killed about a thousand 
men. It was finished at that point. Similarly, on the hill at Calvary, at Golgotha, Jesus broke the bonds of death. He was put to death on the cross, and he finished the work of defeating sin. Watch what happens next. I'm going to move down to verse 18. It says this, And he, that Samson, was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out of it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore, the name of that place is called Enhakor. It is at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines for 20 years. After this battle, Samson becomes thirsty and he asks for a drink. Incidentally, Jesus does the same thing on the cross. He says, I thirst. And they give Jesus a drink. Samson asks for God to deliver him from death, to give him a drink that he might be revived and lead the Israelite people. And that's exactly what God does. Despite all of the sin in Samuel or in Samson's life, God is faithful to him and merciful to him, and he provides him a drink and then allows him to lead the Israelite people through a 20-year time of peace after defeating the Philistines. And the place there, we're told, is called Enhakor, which literally means the spring of one who calls out. That place of death becomes a place of life. Sound familiar? At Calvary, at Golgotha, the place of death becomes the place of life. We go to the cross at Calvary in faith, and we find life there. It was a place of death for Jesus, but ultimately it becomes a place of life. In Judges 15, 9 to 20, in the life of Samson, we get this type of Jesus. But going forward, we also get a picture of God's mercy to sinful people. We don't deserve God's mercy. Samson didn't deserve God's mercy. Despite all the times we've blown through the loving commands and barriers of God, he has brought us life out of the death of Jesus. And despite all the times that Samson blew through the loving barriers of God, he brought Samson life through that spring of water. In the end, in chapter 16, Samson's life ends up providing this incredible warning for us. Rather than seeing the goodness of the Lord here and then clinging closely to him, Samson continues in his sin. God's mercy to Samson doesn't increase Samson's view of the Lord. Instead, it bolsters his sense of invincibility. When we see the goodness of the Lord at Calvary in Jesus It should always increase our view of God and his love and his mercy. Whether that's the first time you come to experience the Lord and you place your faith in him, or the hundredth time that you return to the story of Jesus, that you're reminded of the gospel, that you find yourself in sin and you humbly repent, it should always increase our view of the Lord. Matthew Henry says it this way, Ultimately, Samson ends up being judged, stricken with the rod of his own creation. Here's how it plays out. In Judges 16, Samson falls in love with a prostitute named Delilah, and it ends up leading to his death. Samson's name incidentally means the sun, S-U-N, light. Delilah, on the other hand, means to extinguish. What began as a type of Jesus defeating death and turning it to life ends up being a warning that when we persist in our sin, evil extinguishes the light that our sin has the ability to extinguish the light of the gospel in our lives. One more thing about uh, the book of Judges in general. Samson provides this beautiful picture of Jesus 
foreshadowing what Christ would do. But in the end, the book of Judges ends on an incredibly bleak note. The end of Judges moves us out of the Judges area era and into the era of the United Kingdom of Israel, into the era of the kings. Despite God's repeated mercy in raising up deliverers for Israel through the judges, the people return again and again to their idolatry, to worshiping something as God that's not God. The end of the book of Judges ends with this incredibly sad statement. It's the very last verse in the book of Judges. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The Lord has always wanted to be Israel's king. He's always wanted to be their deliverer and judge. And as the creator of life, he's always wanted to be the one who defines how humanity lives. But instead, the book of Judges ends with no judge, with Israel not choosing to honor the Lord as their king, and with no concern over how their creator has commanded them to live. And the bleakness of that statement moves us into the book of Ruth, and then on to 1 and 2 Samuel, where we start to see the next era of the Old Testament. As always, know that we're praying for your reading this week as you finish the book of Judges. As always, you can find more resources and more context for where our reading plan is right now at www.thebibleinitiative.com. We encourage you to go and check that out. We're praying for your reading this week, and we look forward uh, to being with you via podcast or sermon or here at church on Sunday very soon.